0: Right. So as I said, we've looked at the temple as a house of God. we looked at it as a house of testimony where God graciously dwells with his people. And I uh, would have a, the testimony of that, a house of prayer. Uh, Solomon presented to the Lord seven specific requests as a house of prayer. He wanted justice in the land. He asked for help in military defeats. He asked for help when justice came in the in form of a drought that God would answer. Uh, other natural calamities, he asked that God would hear Uh, foreigners who came to pray that God would help them, uh, the armies in battle when they would go out and do what God would want them to do. And that when they would look towards the temple, they would would seek help. And also uh, that they would find defeat and captivity when they sinned. Now here in this passage of Scripture, verses 54 through 61, Solomon gets up from praying and he'd been kneeling on the altar before uh, the Lord. And now he stands to give blessings to the Lord. Usually, it was the priest who blessed the people, but here, on a special occasion, the king did this. Uh, we could find that in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 18 and 20, when Daniel would do that. And uh, Daniel, you know, Daniel was, or not Daniel, boop! <laughs> oh, that beep, I used to do that in the radio. But anyways, uh, David, let's try that again. I don't know why I did that beep, but, <laughs> all right. But uh, David would end up dancing for the Lord. And uh, doing sacrifice, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and uh, saw said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants, as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovered himself. So here in this uh, Second Samuel, David had, would rejoiced and, uh, in what God had done in returning the ark. Solomon blesses the whole assembly here and through them the entire nation. He gives thanks to God as Solomon reviews the history of the Jewish nation. His conclusion was that the promises of God had never failed. You remember that God had given to uh, Moses that he would give the nation rest, and he did. Uh, God had uh, talked about you know, to enable Joshua to overcome the nations and cl- claim Canaan land, and he did. Mo- Moses told the people that they would enter a land of promise, uh, promised rest, that God would give him a central sanctuary there in Deuteronomy 12, 1 through 4, and the temple is now here. So in every one of the promises that God has given, God has fulfilled it. Now it took some time. So in his farewell speech to the leaders, Joshua emphasizes the very same truth that God gave them what he promised. In Joshua chapter 23, verses 14 and 15, if you want to turn there, Joshua twenty three, fourteen and fifteen. It says in verse fourteen, and behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth, and ye know in all your hearts and in all your souls, that not one thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. All are come to pass unto you, and not one thing hath failed thereof. Therefore, it shall come to pass that as all good things are come upon you, which the Lord your God promised you, so shall the Lord bring upon you all evil things until he have destroyed you from off this good land, which the Lord your God hath given you. When you have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God. And the verse goes on. But the thing is, is he says, listen, God's promised everything he said he would give to you, but he also will give you judgment if you transgress his covenants. You know, Joshua twenty one forty five. Uh, here in this passage, again, we find this resounding theme that God fulfills His promises. And we like to think that oftentimes that this comes in handy uh, in a theological concept, in an academic sense. But uh, when push comes to shove and the, and the rubber meets the road and the challenges of life are upon you, verse 45 of, of uh, Joshua 21, there hath... There failed not odd of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel all came to pass. So everything that God has promised has come to pass. Joshua reminds them that the warnings would be fulfilled as well as the promises. Solomon especially emphasizes one promise that God had given to the patriarchs. Patriarchs Abraham, Isaac, Jacob uh, and, and, and the going forward. That God would not leave his people or forsake them. And we would find that here uh, in this first king's passage, I forgot to leave my marker here, but uh that you know not forsaken them as we have just read here recently, right and um let me get my back to my place and set my marker there, but uh anyways, you know he renewed the promise to Moses. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 12, Exodus thirty-three, fourteen, 14, Moses repeats it to Joshua in Deuteronomy. The Lord gives a promise uh, to Joshua. Let's look at uh, Joshua uh, chapter uh, uh, 6, verse 27. We'll come back here in the First Kings. but um, And the thing that we found here... In verse 57 of 1 Kings 8, right, the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. Let him not leave us nor forsake us. But in Joshua chapter 6, verse 27, we see kind of the similar sentiments here. And uh, you know what? It is true that our God is for us. He's not going to leave us. He's not going to abandon us. He's made promises. And uh, we might like to think he's going to leave us when the hard times come. So in Judges, not Judges, Joshua, why am I looking at Judges? Joshua 6, verse 27. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was noise throughout all the country. So the Lord was with Joshua, and God had spread the name of Israel throughout the lands, as he had said he would do. And the Lord had also given to Gideon victory, there in Judges 6. The prophet Samuel repeats this idea of God and his promise to be with them. David encouraged Solomon with this promise when he appointed him to build the temple. So after the days of uh, Solomon, the prophet Isaiah repeated this promise and gave comfort to the Jewish people to encourage them to get back to the Lord. But he also told them, Isaiah, that they would experience a tremendous uh, Babylonian captivity and it would be very difficult. The Lord also used this to encourage Jeremiah. Jesus gave it to his disciples before he descended to heaven to be with the Father. Local churches today can proclaim it in Hebrews 13, 5. Let your conversation, means your lifestyle, be without covetousness and be content with such things that you have, for he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So God had promised to be with Israel. We're going to look at a couple of Psalms here, Psalm 27, verse 9. Psalm 27, verse 9 Hide not thy face far from me, put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help, leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. Psalm 37, the next one. 37, 25 I have been young and now am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Verse 28. For the Lord loveth judgment and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. God does not forsake us. He doesn't leave us. Solomon also asked asked God as part of his praises, but he's also requesting from God the people that have hearts that are inclined and eager to obey his commandments. Verse 58 of 1 Kings 8. And he knew the book of Deuteronomy, and he must have had in mind Deuteronomy five twenty nine. Oh that there were such an heart in them, that they would fear me and keep all my commandments always, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. So Solomon admonishes the people to have a sincere heart to follow the Lord. And finally, Solomon asks God to remember the prayer that he had spoken with his lips and from his hearts, verses fifty nine and sixty. Our spoken words are but breath and sound, and they vanish immediately. When I'm speaking here, that tone, that voice, it it immediately ends. But you know what encourages us? And Solomon's like, Lord, please remember what I've said. And and it lets us know. Let's look at Revelation chapter 5, verse 8. When I pray to the Lord, my prayers are not forgotten can go through some challenging times, some discouraging times. Here in Revelation chapter 5, verse 8, your prayers are heard and remembered and are in fact the very sweet incense before the Lord. Verse 8, And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. Chapter 8, verse 3, Another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer, and there was given unto him much incense, that he should offer with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. Gold, again, the prayers of the saints as an incense. And much like we talked about, that the incense was there in the holy place, not the, uh, just prior to going into the Holy of Holies, you had incense, prayers of the saints. So Solomon's prayer was not selfish, but he wants Israel to be faithful, And uh, he wants the house of prayer for all nations. The Lord answered Solomon's request by sending fire from heaven to consume the sacrifices there on the altar. And then again, the glory of God would fill the throne, fill the house. God sent fire from heaven when Aaron there at the tabernacle. Now he sends fire for Solomon there to be in the Holy of Holies. And all people responded by bowing to the ground and praising the Lord. And with all of the people there, you know, in Second Chronicles seven three, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. God had accepted the prayer of the king and the worship of the people. So here is a, it's a house of praise. It's a, the temple here, as you think about it, is a place of praises to God and. And praises to remember God's covenant that He is a covenant-keeping God that doesn't forget it. It is also in verse sixty in First Kings chapter eight. Let's read verses sixty-two through sixty-six of First Kings chapter eight. It says, "And the king and all Israel with him offered sacrifice before the Lord, and Solomon offered a sacrifice a peace offering which he offered to the Lord two and twenty thousand oxen." And in 120,000 sheep, so the king and all the children of Israel dedicated the house of the Lord. Can you imagine 120,000 sheep being uh, sacrificed? That's a whole lot of blood. And uh, 22,000 oxen, that's going to be a river of blood coming out of the temple that day. The same day did the king hallow the middle of the court that was for the house of the Lord, for there he offered burnt offerings and meat offerings and the fat of the peace offerings, because the brazen altar that was before the Lord was too little, to receive the burnt offerings, and meat offerings, and the fat of the peace offerings. And at that time Solomon held a feast, and all Israel with him, a great congregation, from the entering in of Hamath into the river of Egypt, before the Lord our God, seven days, and seven days, even fourteen days. On the eighth day he sent the people away, and they blessed the king, and went into their tents joyful and glad of heart for all the goodness that the Lord had done for David his servant, and for Israel his people. So God accepts the prayer of the king and people then have a worship they have a feast a fellowship you know what this idea of coming together of the 120,000 sheep 22,000 oxen and here they are eating and and the people leave they're blessed and they're joyful and glad of heart The new altar was too small for so many animals I mean 120,000 sheep uh, that's a whole lot of sheep for someone to own, let alone to sacrifice there at the temple. You know, the assembly of the gathered for the dedication of the temple came from the southernmost boundary of the kingdom. You know, the river of Egypt the to the no- northernmost boundary. I mean, this was all of Israel coming together. 120,000 sheep, 22,000 oxen. Now, it was customary to feast and rejoice during the week set aside for the Feast of Tabernacles, where they go to their tents. Now these tents, and this idea is celebrating the time of being in the wilderness. It celebrates God's gracious care of the the 40 years they wandered in the wilderness that God daily took care of them there with the man and the quail and so forth. Just like the other offerings, the peace offering or fellowship offering of Leviticus 3 and chapter 7, it's presented to the Lord, but the meat was given to the priests, and part was to be a retainer uh, retained by the worshiper. And so here they are They're partaking of it. A great feast. They're inviting friends to share it with them. Now, the Jews would raise animals for milk, wool, uh, meat, you know, and, and many other things. But the sacrifice must have been offered day after day for the meat of the fellowship offering could be eaten only two days and all leftovers had to be burned the third day. So with all of these animals and this tremendous, I mean, 120,000, I mean, you consider... If you're killing uh, that animal, what is there? 3,600 minutes in a day, or maybe more than that. But 24 times, anyways. There's a lot. Even if you killed one animal every minute, uh, you're going to have a, you know, that day. You're not going to be able to do it all in a day. I mean, it's going to be tremendous, and uh, just all that's going on. It's kind of like a potluck meal, you know. In First Corinthians chapter 11. We have potlucks today, in this day and age. You know, Jesus would use a meal to teach the Word of God. An early church would occasionally uh, hold a, a love feast or a, a potluck meal, if you would, and uh, a decent meal where the members would all come together. And especially, you know, sometimes the slaves of that day wouldn't have a good meal during the week, and so they would come at the, when the church met, and, and they would get a good meal and a good time of fellowship around the Lord. In First Corinthians chapter 11, If you want to turn there, Uh, just kind of talking about this, there's a community, there's a fellowship of the saints together, Uh, a time of coming and enjoying the goodness of God and enjoying being around people of like mind and like faith. First Corinthians chapter eleven, verse twenty: When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's supper. For in eating, every one taketh before other his own supper, and one is hungry, and another is drunken. What have ye not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God, and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? And I praise you not. Verse thirty-three: Wherefore, my brethren, when you come together, to eat, tarry one for another, and if any man Hunger, let him eat at home. Now, this is talking about the Lord's Supper here, but there's still houses to eat and drink in and and despising the church of God. As we look at this, coming together into one place. It's it's not, you know, he's talking about the Lord's Supper, but it's still letting him know that there was a time when Jesus brought all of his disciples together and they ate a meal together and they enjoyed the company. In Jude, verse 12, these are spots in your feasts of charity, you could call them feasts of charity, when the believers would come together and and there were uh, some wayward uh, heretics that would come within the church that Jude was addressing. The members of the various Jewish assemblies, they would often eat together. Acts chapter 2, you know, it says, and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house and eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. So there is a, there is an eating together, a fellowshipping. Romans 12, 13, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. So again, helping saints uh, who might be slaves, have horrible slave masters who aren't feeding them well. They come to the church, they're enjoying fellowship and they're enjoying the company of one another. 1 Timothy 3 2 talks about the prerequisites for a pastor. One of such is given to hospitality. Uh, 1 Peter 4 9 use hospitality one to another without grudging. And then 1 Corinthians 10.31, where whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. So there is this very prominent theme of hospitality and enjoying the fellowship of the saints. The peace offering symbolizes Jesus Christ who is our peace. Who has given us the gift of His peace? We can look at Ephesians two fourteen for this, if you'd like to see this. Ephesians chapter two, verse fourteen. For He is our peace, who hath made one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. And then in John fourteen twenty seven, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So again, this idea that Jesus is the peace offering for us. He is appeasing God's wrath so that I have peace with God. Because of his sacrifice on the cross, I have peace with him, Romans 5, 1. And by surrendering to him, I have the peace of God in my heart, Philippians 4, 6 through 9. God's people are who feed on jesus christ we feed on his peace as we read and look at his word just as i was reading this morning there in uh psalm 56 talked about in god will i praise his word you know god will i pray <laughs> i'll praise god in his word often getting that peace and that joy and that refreshment that i need from he who is uh, the peace that i am desiring he's the center of our fellowship and that The the temple was the center of their fellowship. It was the center uh, of them coming together. It was the center of their unity when their uh, worship of God and their uh, prominence and their placement of the temple in their lives of where God placed in their worship of how they appropriated their time when that began to go away the disunity came the the conflicts came the fighting came so as they serve the Lord it brings and we notice that in Acts chapter 2 again there's a great unity as the believers come together to put an emphasis upon the Lord Jesus Christ and his church it's Psalm 2:11 serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling there's a joy and a solemnity. There's a uh, there's a the people as they go away here in First Kings chapter eight. Uh, it talks about joy and gladness of heart. When the Holy Spirit is in control, it can be a place of sweet fellowship. But when you and I begin to assume authority over God, then disunity comes. 1 Kings chapter 9, it's also, the temple was also a house of responsibility, verse 1 of 1 Kings 9. And it came to pass when Solomon had finished the building of the house of the Lord and the king's house and all Solomon's desire, which he was pleased to do, that the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time as he had appeared unto him at Gibeon. The Lord said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and thy supplication. That thou hast made before me, I have hallowed this house which thou hast built. To put my name there forever, and mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. The fire comes down, the splendor and the glory, the Shekinah glory of God. And here's the promise. God says, listen, I've heard you. I'm going to answer it. My eyes are on this place. If the people pray towards the temple and their hearts are on me, I'll, I'll answer them. God's name is on that house. It's not Solomon's temple. It's God's temple, as we've discussed. It is the house of the Lord? Some of the specific requests that are made in Second Chronicles chapter seven, verses eleven through sixteen, mention some specific requests that God would be willing to forgive them if they sinned. They would humble themselves, pray, and seek His face and turn from their sins. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. Right? If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will. Uh, forgive their sins and heal their land something like that and the truth is that God's saying listen in this dedication of the temple you put me back in the in the center of your life and I'll help you now God's never made a covenant with any nation but Israel but since Christian believers today are God's people called by his names we can claim the promises here we also find here in 1 Kings chapter 9, verses 4 and 5, And if thou wilt walk before me as David thy father walked, in integrity of heart and in uprightness, to do according to all that I have commanded thee, and wilt keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of thy kingdom upon Israel forever, as I promised to David thy father, saying, There shall not fail thee a man upon the throne of Israel. Now, what he does, God does here, is he makes it, He says, as David, your father, walked before me. He makes it incredibly personal. Reaffirms, Solomon, you better walk right. You better do what I want you to do. You better worship me. You better keep it, keep my statutes and my judgments, as the scripture here in verse 4. He says, I will establish the throne, understanding this, that God can bring up and tear down any king that he wants. Solomon was to be a man like his father. 1 Samuel 13, 14 talks about David as a man after God's own heart, a man of integrity, Psalm 78, 72. Uh, you know, it's interesting. The Lord says nothing here uh, about David's adultery. D- this says nothing about his deception, his plot to murder Uriah. No, he says, your dad walked before me. Integrity of heart and uprightness to do according to all that I've commanded thee. There were some serious errors that David made. And yet, God says, listen, David walked before me. David had his, he's got a couple black spots, black eyes. But he says, he's done right. We find something else here. Verse 6, but if ye shall at all turn from following me, ye are your children and will not keep my commandments and my statutes which I have set before you. But go and serve other gods and worship them. Then will I cut off Israel out of the land which I have given them, and this house. Which I have hallowed for my name will I cast out of my sight, and Israel shall be a proverb and a byword among all people. And at this house which is high, every one that passeth by it shall be astonished, and shall hiss, and they shall say, Why hath the Lord done thus unto this land, unto this house? And they shall answer because they forsook the Lord their God who brought forth their fathers out of the land of Egypt and have taken hold upon other gods and have worshipped them and served them. Therefore hath the Lord brought upon them all this evil. The Jewish state today in our present day it shows that Israel neglected the Lord for their own ways. I mean, they're under the times of the Gentiles. They're under the captivity there that Nebuchadnezzar would see in that golden image. That image, not that golden image, but that various metal image, that statue. And Israel was cut off out of the land. Now, they're back in the land, but they don't have all of it. They're not having the prominence that they had. They don't have the... Uh, the status or the wealth. I mean, Israel is incredibly... I mean, for Israel to even be around today is remarkable. And they are still around because of God's promise to Abraham, but their people are an example that you rebel against God, you will be defeated, and you might even be scattered. Now, the Gentile nations, many of the Gentile nations, have been completely obliterated, but the Israelites have uh, remained. The nation was divided. Both kingdoms gradually declined until uh, they're destroyed. So There's a rehearsing of the covenant here. God is letting Solomon know. Now, we know that Solomon, as we're going to look at, that Solomon would end up having 700 wives and 300 concubines. Uh, His wives would take his hearts to these other gods. I mean, it was just, Solomon really took... His dad made a mistake, but his dad got back right with God. Solomon went a very long period of time at the end of his life. He ends up writing, you know, uh, Ecclesiastes and uh, understanding that vanity of vanity, all is vanity. He said, I sought to know wisdom and I sought to have riches and it brought me to great travail. But uh, the kingdom of Judah would turn to idols and disobey the Lord and invite his chastening. And what this does in the study of this is not just a historical uh, story or historical incident, but it's reminding us that if we deviate from the commandments and the statutes of God in a place of preeminence, a prominence upon his house, the, which we have now today, is in this day and age, is the local church. Uh, if we le- neglect the, the local church and and we neglect what God wants us to do, then there's chastisement upon us. The Babylonian army would devastate the land. They'd destroy this temple in the year 586 B.C., destroy Jerusalem and rob and burn the temple. I mean, all the gold and the things that were therein were brought out and brought to Babylon, and and they were used in the sacrifices to their, their pagan gods. What Israel did is they became comfortable with their ways and served other gods. And as a result, they became a ridicule rather than a placement of praise to God. You know, when we think about this, this judgment would pass onto David's line. Think about, you know, considering local churches today, schools and other professing Christian ministries. They've abandoned the true faith and ceased to bring glory to the Lord. It was almost like God had written Ichabod upon, which means the glory has departed, on many things that Christ was once honored. From Solomon's death in uh, in 931 until uh, until the reign of Zedekiah in 597 to 586, the Davidic dynasty would carry on. God kept his promise. Now, Zedekiah obviously went away from the Lord. And the only Jew today who qualifies to sit on David's throne can prove from the genealogy is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The son of David, the son of God. Let's look at Habakkuk 2.14. Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 14. For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is obviously messianic, but the truth is God, uh, Israel, failed to accomplish this. They failed to be the light. They failed to disseminate the need for faith in God. God removes them. He breaks them off of the tree. He grafts in the Gentiles there in Romans, and uh, his name fills the earth, the glory of the Lord, and obviously fulfilled there uh, ultimately at the millennial reign of Christ. But as we go back and just re- re- review some of the things about the temple, uh, first of all, it was God's house. It is not, uh, it's not the uh, the temple of. Of the people it 's not t- solomon 's temple now Solomon was instrumental in the building of it. David brought a lot of the material, but ultimately it was God who provided the uh, the craftsmen and, and the the architects and the blueprints or whatever all of the knowledge necessary and it was god 's place when Israel departed from God, they were no longer able to access the temple. It was a house of temple uh, testimony. Uh, of God's greatness to the nations, that there is a God in the world, and He stands. And And Israel, who went through the desert and got out of Egypt, and God sustained them, and they crossed the Jordan River, and, and they defeated the Canaanites. And uh, they, There is a place that God has put His people for a special a purpose to reveal His glory. It's a house of testimony. It's a house of prayer. It is a place where anyone, if as troubles are coming, we can pray uh, towards the temple, pray towards the Lord, and ask Him for help. And today we can do that same thing where we are, uh, you know, in Psalm 55, 22, cast thy burden upon the Lord, and He shall sustain thee. I place my glance and my eyes upon the Lord with the burdens, and I say, Lord, I've messed up. I need your help. And it says, He shall sustain thee. And, And God gave that promise here to Solomon as he in humility he kneels before all the people in the center here of them and as he's praying and saying God when we sin and we mess up it's almost like Solomon could know that the people's hearts would turn from God. There's a a tendency uh, to to become comfortable where we're at. Solomon realizes this and a very wise man he says God it's it's a thing that If we turn towards you, please help us. God says, I'll help you. It's a house of praise. Solomon gets up and he begins to praise the Lord and praise what God has done. And, you know, he does the offering here rather than the priest in this very, very special occasion, which is a rare thing because it was the. The priests who were to do it, Saul did the, the sacrifices and it cost him the kingdom, so you better uh, make sure that it's of God when you do this. But nevertheless, Solomon reviews the nation of Israel and the blessings that God has given and, and uh, just praises him. Listen, our God has made promises and he's kept it. He's made promises that if we do good, he'll bless us. If we do wrong, he'll curse us. There are, It's a house of praise that God can be depended upon, that we don't need to worry, we don't need to uh, to go aside God won't forsake us. He's there for us, and He's helping us. And You know, in Psalm 37, 28, as we read earlier, For the Lord loveth judgment and forsaketh not His saints. They are preserved forever, but the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. So Solomon says, God, please continue to help us. It's a house of praise. And The people bring their petitions to the Lord. They bring their praises of the goodness and greatness of God. And as they're bringing those praises and those prayer requests, and they're bringing their sacrifices, it's also a house of fellowship. Because Israel can come together as a great congregation there. Hezekiah, they have a tremendous uh, sacrifice there, and they reinstitute it after a period of time of going away from it, and you had several other godly kings uh, with whom they would reinstitute the sacrifices that they wanted under the Mosaic Covenant, and uh, but uh, here is a tremendous, tremendous sacrifice. And and we, all the sacrifice of ourselves, you know, it's kind of like the sacrifice of ourselves to the Lord. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, you know, about being a sacrifice fully to the Lord. It's a reasonable service. But in this sacrifice, there's also a fellowship. That God's people are coming together, their eyes, and and when they leave the feast, their eyes and their hearts are full of joy and gladness. You know what, friend? That can be the same way in our lives. The upper room has become the supper room. <laughs> you know, some churches can go overboard on eating and it can become a thing of gluttony. But uh, you know, it's all about more the social than it is about the Lord. And these are love feasts where the believers charity, right? As it says there in First Corinthians or Jude, but feasts of charity. So again, this temple is a thing of fellowship. It unites the nation. I had a friend of mine, as he was telling me before I got married, he said, "Chris, the greatest thing you can do when you're getting to know, uh, you know, young ladies, to get to know the Lord closely. When you know the Lord closely, it brings you two together, and uh, that has proved very true." Peace offering, you know, showing that Jesus is our peace. It's a house of responsibility. Uh, wherein there's a promise that, Solomon, you better keep promises. You better keep uh, that which you've promised to do. You better keep your word. You better be obedient. You better heed the warning. The place of responsibility, the church, the local church or the temple from then is a place of accountability. I'm accountable to the Lord. I'm accountable before others. Solomon was accountable to the people. The people were accountable to him and accountable to one another, you know, in, in regards to this whole thing of, And it divided the nations if they go away from the Lord. And obviously that's what Jeroboam did, is he wanted to get away from the temple because he understood that if he got the people's eyes off of the temple, rather than uniting as All 12 tribes of Israel, he could have 10 tribes and he could still maintain his power. So he created a new place of worship uh, there in the northern kingdom so people wouldn't go back to Jerusalem. They wouldn't seek for the unity of all 12 tribes. And therein, again, power is maintained. So idolatry helps him to maintain that power. Instead of being a blessing as a place of responsibility to one another and to the Lord, it became a ruined city and a temple there, when the Babylonians came, and ultimately last, it's about not having the Lord right. Ichabod, the glory of the Lord is departed, the house. And so we learn something important about the temple that God had given to Israel in their place of promise, making what God calls important as important to our lives as well. And so I'm going to conclude here. I'll read a prayer letter when we're done. But I just wanted to, just uh, things here, God's house and Solomon's heart. When We really reflect on uh, what the temple represented. It was a remarkable place. And if you take the analogy of that and put it into today, what the local church has its position as well. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your wonderful grace and your kindness and mercy towards us. Lord, I thank you for the temple and how Solomon would pray, and God, it's a place, it's your place, it's your house, it's not ours. It's all about you, it's not about us, and Father, I pray that you would help us uh, to be the people, to have a heart united upon thee, and united together, and Father, focused upon the sacrifice and the service to thee. Lord, I pray that this would be a place, and you know, as the temple was then to the nations of the world. Uh, a focus and an example uh, to this community that there is a place that loves the Lord Jesus Christ and places a preeminence upon Him alone. Father, I love you and I thank you for being such an amazing Savior, so kind and caring. Lord, would you help us to stay faithful to you, faithful to the cause of Christ, faithful to reach out to others with a glorious saving gospel. Lord, I thank you for your wondrous grace in Jesus' precious name. I pray. Amen, let me read a. Prayer.